Well, top of the morning to each and every one of you. Uh, there is stuff free on my table over there, okay? Uh, the fishing pole and the rainbow trout, if you would leave uh, your little grubby hands, you can touch it. <clears throat> right. You, you can touch it, and that's, I'll, I'll give you that much uh, for that. Uh, but uh, anyway, how are you all doing? Doing good. The fall colors are starting to set in. It's beautiful, isn't it? And we know it's just going to continually get prettier and prettier. So you guys are doing all right. I'm doing great. Uh, as long as I listen to my GPS, because every time I get someplace, it says, I have arrived. So apparently, you know, apparently I'm on that I have arrived and kind of thing. Maybe it's just specifically talking about my destinations and not me overall as a human being, but which is probably true. So anyway, but I smile every time my, G, my GPS says that you have arrived. I thought, oh, that's so encouraging. I need that kind of you know, positive feedback in my life. Anybody else? And so uh, it's my honor to be, have this privilege to come here and to share God's word with you. My wife sends her love. She wishes she could be here. My son, my youngest son, is uh, just got off of, uh, just got furlough yesterday from the army. So flew in yesterday, and so she is with him right now. Uh, so that's our baby. So it's, uh, he's Army Infantry 101st Airborne. So our little baby. That's right. If you mess with my fishing equipment, I'll sick him on you guys. Okay. <laughs> so, um, my wife hasn't seen him since December. And so, uh, she's spending some great time, but my wife sends her love. She loves you guys. I love you guys. You guys know that, right? Okay. Very good. For those of you that don't know me, and there's plenty here that do, my name is uh, Robert McDowell, and uh, I'm a missionary within faith. Come over and visit my booth. Just a short little ditty about in faith. In faith is America's oldest uh, home missions, and I know I shared this with one or two uh, yesterday. We all grew up watching... um, um, Mr. Rogers, close. I like that guy. He, he's a pastor. That's so encouraging. Uh, Little House on the Prairie. Little House on the Prairie. Okay, how could I forget that? And you remember the, uh, the reverend in Little House on the Prairie, Reverend Alden? Well, guess who he is? He's one of my forefathers in our mission. So uh, he belonged to our mission. It wasn't called in faith then, you know, 120 years, whatever that's been. It was called something else at that point. But anyway, so that gives you a little bit of an idea who I am. I am, a, I am the common, common, yeah, I'm fairly common. Uh, I am the uh, circuit riding preacher of the day like Reverend Alden was. And so and I do all, I'm involved in all sorts of things, camp ministries, uh, church uh, um, planting, pastoral placement, etc., etc., etc. And I won't go into a long time on that. So I have a lot of things I want to share this morning as far as from the pulpit is concerned. Uh, I would like to share a couple of ministry stories. And by the way, we had a great... Uh, missions conference and thank you to everybody uh, dear Mary McDowell here who worked so hard and others of you that worked so hard to put that missions conference together so uh, it was great to hear the stories uh, from the other missionaries as well so uh, yeah a couple of uh, ministry stories and since I work at Cole I've been doing this 33 years I've been doing this a long time and uh, a lot of my stories come from Kokolala Bible Camp, uh, partly because we've just, I almost said survived summer. Uh, we just had the blessing of summer ministry. That's why the bag's under the eyes. Amen, Sonia? Yes, amen. Uh, Sonia knows what that's full about here, as well as others you, you do, too. So long but great summer at uh, Kokolala Bible Camp. A bunch of kids got saved, 52, 54 kids got saved this summer. We praise the Lord for that. Uh, let me share with you a couple of stories. This one is a funny story. If you've ever been a camp counselor, 
you will understand this. <clears throat> so 9 and 10 camp, cabin leader Mick, a young man, uh, leaving, leading a full cabin of 9 and 10-year-old boys, comes up to me, and he had a very, very challenging camp with, with his campers, very, very challenging. So he comes up to me, and he says this out of the blue, working at camp promotes abstinence. <laughs> That's funny, if you think about it. He's, he's not going to have any children for the rest of his life. He's not having, he's a teenager. You know, we've ruined him. He's not going to have children forever. He's going to live a life of abstinence. Isn't that funny? <clears throat> and uh, I have heard that more than once over the years, by the way. <clears throat> uh, here's another one. Uh, yes. Uh, last night, the altar call, one girl uh, responded to the altar call and downstairs with her cabin leader, Taryn. Soon the nine-year-old girl with her head bowed, a faint but sweet prayer. And I love these prayers. I wish I could videotape these. Here's this little nine or ten-year-old girl's prayer that I could faintly hear. Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. Will you save me? When she went to leave, I asked her, why did you come downstairs? She said, she told me this. She says, to make Jesus her Savior, I told her I was proud of her and that I made the same decision at her age, 10 years old. And I gave her a hug. Then she turned and gave her cabin leader, Taryn, a hug, which brought a smile to Taryn's face. Uh, here's another one here. Uh, seven and eight camp, seven and eight-year-olds, so little bitty, little bitty cherubs. And uh, so after, uh, at the altar call, so we had an altar call, a bunch of these little kids came forward, and the gal, the female cabin leader asked me to come over to help her with this little girl camper. Again, she's seven or eight years old, this little girl camper. I bent down on one knee to see her eye to eye. <clears throat> and uh, then I asked this wide-eyed, cute little camper, how can I help, her? help you, excuse me. She said, looking me right in the eyes, you have to be really lucky to have Jesus save you, and I'm not that lucky. Oh, I know. It's just like, oh, I mean, anybody want to adopt this little gal already? Yes. I shared with her Romans 10, 13. It says, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I asked her, do you see anywhere in that verse where it says you have to be lucky? She said, No. Then I asked her, do you have any more questions? She said, no. And her cabin leader, Tessa, then led this little sweetheart to the Lord at that moment. Here's a thank you uh, card letter we got back from this little gal. Dear Kokolala Bible staff, thank you for all you do. It's 12-year-old. I have always enjoyed camp. I look forward to it every single year. You do a very good job at, this is cute, at feeding, entertaining and most of all, getting the word of God out to all of us kids. Last year, I became a Christian because of you. Because, of, yeah, isn't that sweet? So, okay, let's see. One more little story here. Uh, oh, this is my youngest son, Josh. My 101st Airborne uh, Army Infantry boy. This is uh, one of his experiences at cabin leading. Seven, eight, so little bitty guys again. Monday evening chapel, the kids came down to sit. I saw my son Joshua sit with his cabin of boys. Um, uh, I saw in his face, I saw, I, that's right, I saw in my son, Sonia, you will rec recognize this, the blank stare and the bloodshot eyes that come from a long summer of camp. And so I looked at my son Joshua and says, hey, are you tired? He gave me a a feeble, small smile, and then a little bit of a nod, which is so much like my son. The speaker gave a chance at the end of the sermon for the campers to trust Jesus as their Savior. One of Josh's boys responded. So I had the privilege to watch my youngest son with his Bible over, open minister to this little boy. After chapel, I asked Josh, did you get to lead that little boy to Christ? Yes, he said. Then Josh said, I was so tired, but now I'm so excited. The thrill of leading someone to Jesus. Praise the Lord, that's my passion in life. I love leading people to Jesus. Uh, interesting, do we live in a, how do we want to say this? Can we say it this way? 
a target-rich environment as far as lots of unsaved people living in our community. Oh, boy. Do you realize this, that the vast majority of people in Chihuahua and all up and down the valley, eastern Washington, the vast majority of people do not know Jesus as their Savior. Do you realize that? In fact, it's around, the, the percentage is about 8% in our communities that do know Jesus. Now, to you, you might go, oh, that's hard for me to accept. You know, we have this wonderful privilege. We come here, we lift, listen to Pastor Dan's great sermons, and we have this sense of, uh, are we spoiled a little bit? I don't know if spoiled, that sounds, that's kind of a negative word. The Lord way blesses us. There we go. That's the right way of saying that. And so we kind of think that's the standard and that's the norm. But guess what? It's not out there. You don't have to go very much, very far out there. In fact, this is an interesting thing to do. Go out there and just start asking people, hey, I'm just doing a random religious survey. How do you get to heaven? And you're going to get all sorts of fascinating questions or answers to that. So anyway... With that in mind, I'd like to shift the gears. If you want to know more about my uh, my ministry, uh, please ask. I'm uh, all about it. And thank you, by the way, for your support and your encouragement, your prayers. You know, the older I get, the more prayers. I just see it so valuable. And your finances have been such an encouragement for me and my wife over the years. So thank you very much. So let me shift gears. I'm going to start preaching now, okay? <clears throat> Pastor Dan says I could preach till 2 in the afternoon. <clears throat> Not. That was Gary. Was that Don? It was Don. Don's hiding behind you, Gary. That's right. I'm, I would expect that out of Don. I'll have the last word, Don. I see where you're sitting. <clears throat> okay. Very good. And what I want to do, and I'll pray here in just a moment, I want to preach from John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. The title of my sermon is this. The title of my sermon is this. Kind of a unique title um, as far as when you see the context of what we're going to uh, teach on here in just a second. Kind of a unique title. But here's the title. The title is this. Jesus is in the boat with you. Okay? Jesus is in the boat with you. And I've been praying all week long about this sermon to ask God to meet each and every one of you where you're at. If you don't remember anything about else about this sermon today, I want you to remember this. That Jesus is always in the boat with you. Okay? Jesus is always in the boat with you. <clears throat> Why do I bring this up here? Uh, in fact, let me just pray right now. Let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this sermon. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for, for you, Heavenly Father. I praise you for your Son, Jesus. I praise you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, you have given us over and over in, in great abundance, and we praise you for that, Heavenly Father. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray for this now. We need you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask you, all the stuff that goes on in life, Lord, would you just please help us to be able just to set that aside? Would you empower us to do that? Help that not to be the nagging noise in our minds that distracts us from hearing what you have for us this morning, Lord. Lord, I beg you for that. I'm so vulnerable for, uh, to that myself. I know how easy it is to just uh, totally miss what you have, Lord. So, Heavenly Father, I pray, would you please work in each one of our hearts to help be able to grasp hold of what you want to give to us this morning, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for this, too. Would you help me to communicate, Lord? Here am I, just a tired, wore-out missionary, and I know, Lord, that I can get in the way of your work, and I don't want to do that. So, Lord, would you just please help me, Rob McDowell, to be able to step aside and, Lord, empower me for your glory, for your dear people, Lord. In your son's name, amen. Jesus is in the boat with you. <clears throat> Jesus is in the boat with you. So why do I bring that up? <clears throat> why do I bring that up? And um, 
here a year ago. It was a year ago. We got uh, some phone call. Had some phone calls come my way, and the phone call says uh, some bad news. So and so has passed away. A man about my age, a wife and two kids. She works at our camp. A great Christian lady. Her two teenage boys help us over at Kokolala Bible Camp. And uh, husband and dad had passed away. And unfortunately, what took place is life got overwhelming for this Christian brother. Life got overwhelming for this Christian brother. And what he, what he ended up doing was taking his own life. Isn't that sad? You know, it broke my heart. And here's these two boys. In fact, I have uh, a, uh, I'm taking them fishing one of these days. You know, that way I can write off all my fishing equipment, you know. <clears throat> I can spend obscene amounts of money on fishing. I, that's a good idea. I'm going to need to write that one down. <clears throat> but anyway, I'm going to take those boys fishing. We have an opportunity coming, uh, hopefully here a little bit further in the fall. So anyway, went to the service for uh, this gentleman. And uh, the preacher at the time, I know this preacher. And uh, so he got up and he, what he did is he preached the sermon out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. And I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting funeral sermon. Let me read to you this passage. You know it well. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the Boat. Oh, remember that. Just as he was in the boat, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. The bow was the front of the boat. The stern is the back of the boat. So again, Jesus is in the boat. What's he doing? Sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Don't you wish you could have been there? When we get to heaven, I think Jesus is going to have like a giant laser disc collection with a huge, giant screen TV about a thousand times bigger than that. And we can punch in all of that kind of stuff and watch. Jesus said the words, quiet, be still. Whoosh. Oh, yeah. And it says, the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Here's what this pastor said at the funeral. Is that Gary that passed away, took his own life. He forgot this. He forgot that Jesus was in the boat with him. Okay? Jesus was in the boat with him. Jesus is in the boat with each and every one of you. Life, when we have life, life goes, we have the great, and we praise the Lord for the mountaintops, and then, then you have the mundane, you know, and then it goes from there to the really difficult stuff. During all those times, remember, remember, if this is the last thing you remember what I say, this, I'm not giving you permission to go to sleep, okay? Yeah, he gave us permission to go to sleep. He said it. So, uh, but remember this, Jesus is in the boat with you. Okay. Okay. Let me read to you the passage in John that I'll be preaching from. That's all free right back there. Okay, that's all free stuff. John 19, verses 19 through 28 state this. And you're going, well, how's Rob going to tie this in? You'll see. This is the death of Jesus. It states this, Later knowing that all was now completed so that the scripture will be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, Listen to these words. This is where I'm going to capitalize from. It is finished. There's so much meaning to this word, these words. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and those of the other. 
But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look upon the one they have pierced. Amen. Jesus is in the boat with you. Okay? Mark 10.45 states this. tells us, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If you want to be more like Jesus, serve. It doesn't mean you, you Lord. It means you serve. It goes on, And to give his life as a ransom for many. The death of Jesus is an act of paramount importance when it comes to you and I having the hope of getting to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. The verse tells us that Jesus' life was given as a ransom for each one of us. Jesus' life was given as a ransom for us. A ransom is this. This is what it's defined as. A price of release. It refers to a payment to cause the release of slaves or captives from bondage. Most of all, not, excuse me, most and if not all times, we think ransom in a strictly horrible sense. You know, some villain kidnaps someone and then comes back to the family member states, give me $1 million or so-and-so gets it. Have you ever wondered if you got kidnapped, what your family would be willing to cash you out for? You know, hmm, let's see, how much you got? Well, I got about a buck fifty in my pocket. Uh, we can pull together $135. Is that enough? Well, okay, okay, we'll take that for you. <clears throat> so anyway, legitimate, there was such a thing as legitimate ransoming, and it was not uncommon during Old Testament times. Leviticus, excuse me, Leviticus, I'll try it again. Leviticus 25:47 gives guidelines for such a thing. Basically, if you became poor enough that you could not provide for yourself, you could still sell yourself as a slave to someone. Oh, fascinating. Maybe we're on to something here to help America in its woes. You know, would that kind of improve? Uh, good question. That's when you know you're having a bad day when you have to go around and say, okay, uh, you can cash me out. Uh, now, some hope for you if you lived back then and due to some bad financial experiences, having had to sell yourself into slavery to someone, there is such a concept, there is a, such a hope as the year of Jubilee, which by law, Old Testament law, the slaves were to be released. That's the great news. The bummer is that the year of Jubilee occurs only once every 50th year, oh my, 50 years. I'm 57 years old. If I was to sell myself, I'd, I'd have to be pretty careful what year I sold myself, right? See what kind of thinking you'd have to go, go, okay, this is year two? Oh my, I'm going to be 148 years old by the time, okay, better rethink this concept. There was another hope provided. It was a much more preferred hope. A near relative had the lawful right if they were willing to res rescue the poor and enslaved relative by paying his debts. The person doing this rescuing is known as the kinsman redeemer. A great illustration of this is found in the book of Ruth. We all love the book of Ruth. Where Boaz redeems the widow uh, Ruth her mother-in-law, all of their property, and then to top it off, marries Ruth, who becomes the great-grandmother of King David, and then later Jesus was born into this family. Jesus is our Redeemer. What did he pay for us? He paid his life. What did Jesus redeem us from? Our slavery of the eternal consequences of our own sins. Jesus paid an awful price, especially those six hours that he hung on the cross. In those six hours of torment on that cross, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus spoke only seven times. First time, he said this to those crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing, Luke 23. Second sentence, he said to the criminal hanging on the cross, uh, Luke 23. Again, I tell you the truth, 
Today you will be with me in paradise. I love that. Third saying of Jesus to his mother and disciple John, Dear woman, here is your son, and here is your mother, John 19. Fourth saying to our heavenly Father, this is so tragic, but thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. To our heavenly Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27. The fifth saying to those crucifying him, I am thirsty, John 19. Sixth saying to all of those there, it is finished which we're going to talk about, John 19. The seventh and last saying to our Heavenly Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Luke 23. Of those last seven sayings of Jesus before his death, I'll highlight this one for us today's number six. It is finished, John 19, 30. From these words, interesting, last uh, yesterday I talked about when I was growing up as a kid and the preacher would get up and preach. And, uh, you know, as a young man, I thought, that preacher just preached a whole sermon on one verse. I said, how is that even possible? As I stood there in disbelief and who knows what else where my mind was at that point. Today I preach one word. Okay, I preach one word and you'll see it here. And those words of Jesus, it is finished in the the English, comes from one Greek word, tetalestai. Now, I'm not a guy to go out and get uh, tattoos, okay? I'm a pale-complected McDowell. I'm a pale-complected Scotsman, okay? If I ever got a tattoo, I'd probably end up having a lifelong rash and all those kind of things. But with my white, pasty skin, it would be way too noisy. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, if I ever did anything of that sense, uh, it would be tetalist. I would probably be the one. Illustration, life illustration. It is finished. How do you feel when you see a task that needs to be done? You formulate a plan, put your effort into it, and then you get the job done. There is a sense of accomplishment that feels good, right? You just go, oh, yes. I have a to-do list at home about that big. It's killing me, but uh, I'm trying to be smart about it. You know, just click them off. So anyway, nine years ago, recuperating from surgery, and, you know, I had that, can- I don't know how, much of you, how many of you know, but uh, uh, cancer scare, colon cancer scare, then I had the bowel resection, all that kind of stuff. They gutted me like a fish, okay? <clears throat> now I know what the fish goes through. But uh, anyway, so the cancer scare, all that kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, of course, when you leave the hospital, the doctor wisely gives you a stern warning, Many of you have heard this warning from your doctors as you have left after surgery. No lifting. Don't do much, etc. You must heal. <clears throat> I believe I did a really good job of that. But that's, when, that's part of the hard part about surgery, right? It gets to be mental. You just go, oh, I wish I could do something. This is driving me wanky. Which is not a long trip for me anymore. That's just a just around the block is my wanky spot there. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, meanwhile, what took place while I was recuperating? The kitchen faucet was leaking. Yes, it was leaking. After several months of recuperating, the faucet getting worse. I, t- I looked at my sweet wife, Cindy. I says, "Honey." You know I love you, right? You know, you need to tell them that from time to time. I did say that when we got married. That was 33 years ago. So it was probably time to back it up with another one or two in there somewhere. Thank you for laughing. I got a little uncomfortable. Nobody laughing there at that point. I says, honey, let's head into Home Depot, and I'm going to buy you not only a new faucet, but I'm going to throw in a brand new sink in the deal for you. Nothing says love like that, right? That's right. Kiss me, honey. Kiss me. Bought a nice faucet and a nice sink. Came home. Men, I need to apologize. I have to apologize to you at this point. I actually read the instructions. Let's just have one moment of quiet shame, okay? <clears throat> I did. I read the dis- instructions. Me and plumbing don't get along well. Amen? 
How many here believe plumbing is demon-possessed? I think it's totally, yes, yes. It's just like, why? Okay, why? It doesn't make sense that it should not be leaking. <clears throat> okay. So bought the nice faucet, followed all the instructions. I know I lost my man card there. Okay, turn the water to the faucet on, you know, that lower valve. <clears throat> and then with a sense of joyous ex- expectation, I called my wife. You know, us preachers, when we talk to our wife, it's in the King's English, right? King James English. Uh, female, for where art thou? Come hither soon and be loved by me, your man. Okay, that was kind of awkward. Thank you for laughing over here. I appreciate that. If you guys do that, make sure your wife has a sense of humor or that'll cost you a hundred bucks. Dozen roses and a nice meal out. Okay, make sure your wife is, has a sense of humor at the moment. So anyway, with Cindy standing at my side, I grasped the faucet handle and applied gentle upward pressure. The handle did not move. So awkwardly, with my wife still standing by my side, I applied firm upward pressure. The handle still did not move up. It would not budge. As I was fiddling with the handle, I made a downward thrust. Lo and behold, the handle moved. Water flowed. Score for husband Ram. Hot was hot. Cold was cold. You just moved the handle down instead of the traditional up. Cindy and I simply accepted it as some new design, fancy new design. Handle the water, turn the water off, handle, turn the water down, or on, down, on. Things were fine for a couple of weeks. Then one night, Cindy and I were sitting in our living room, hear what sounds like water running. We get to the, we get up, the kitchen faucet is running. Day or two later, I'm sitting in the living room with my bride. I said, honey, do you hear water running? Kitchen faucet came on all by itself again. The next couple of weeks, the condition got much worse. Flush a toilet. The kitchen faucet would turn on. <clears throat> you, you wondered if somebody else was in the house sometimes. And some, Quick, grab the pistol, honey. We got some bad guy here. <clears throat> and he's washing his hands in the kitchen sink. <clears throat> Turn on the wash machine, the faucet would turn on. Close a door, the faucet would turn on. Got to the point where the faucet just turned itself on, okay? Called the factory. Turns out the assembly plant messed up putting hundreds or thousands of these faucets together. They sent me a part. I put that in the faucet. It still does not work right. Called the factory again. They sent me more parts. Guess what? Two years. Oh, demonic plumbing. Okay. Finally, I called the factory, and it says, hey, would you just refund my money? They did. And I went down there and bought a nice mowing faucet. Boom, got it. Okay. Jesus said it is finished. He wasn't fixing the problem of plumbing, although I did pray for that plumbing. Trust me, I do that every time. Oh, Lord, you got to empower me with this miserable stuff. He was, what he was fixing was the problem of sin in our lives, providing a way for us of eternal life. So let's take a look at this statement. Jesus said, it is finished. When you read these words, it is finished, Jesus' sixth saying, John 19, 30, it appears that this short sentence stands all by itself with some, uh, with some undetermined length of time between saying number five, I am thirsty, and saying number seven, <clears throat> excuse me, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When one takes a look at the account of Jesus' death in each of the four Gospels, he realized that saying six and seven were said nearly back to back. So just a few seconds, a little, just a little bit of time before uh, Jesus died and he said, it is finished, uh, and then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This brings up a great question. Why aren't the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, exactly the same? Here's why. The Gospels are not meant to be exact biographies. The Gospels are not written as an objective historical survey of Jesus' ministry. The Gospels, what they do do is present Jesus in such a way that the reader realizes that God acted uniquely in each one of the authors. The authors of the Gospels 
wrote not only to communicate knowledge about Jesus as a person, but also to call us to commitment to him as Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. The four Gospels produce four distinct portraits of Jesus rather than exact photographic likeness. Thus, there are four Gospel accounts of the one Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's a quote from Nelson's Bible Dictionary. <clears throat> Back to the two sayings of Jesus. It is finished, the last two sayings, it is finished, and Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Matthew's, Matthew Mark's Gospel states that Jesus cried this out in a loud voice. <clears throat> What this means is this is Jesus still had control of his faculties. Jesus, here's what this means here too, that Jesus chose the moment of his death. <clears throat> Jesus chose that moment. The precise moment that he determined. John 10, 18 states, speaking about his life, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Fascinating. Here's another great little bit of a trivia truth here about Jesus. <clears throat> you know, one of the Gospels, I forget which one of the Gospels does this, but it says, it gives an exact time of Jesus' death. It says, and Jesus died at 3 p.m. Have you ever asked yourself, why would the Holy Spirit go to the, uh, the trouble to write down, make sure it's written down in the scriptures that Jesus died at 3 p.m.? Do you know what else takes place? Jesus died on Passover. Do you know what else takes place on Passover at 3 p.m.? Oh, that's where the priests are in the temple and they take the first of the uh, sacrificial lambs and slit their throats at 3 p.m. Isn't that amazing? This is the Jesus that's in the boat with you. This is the Jesus that's in the boat with you. <clears throat> was about 700 yards from the temple to where Jesus was dying on the cross. That's about from here to about Safeway. About that distance. About from here to Safeway. So at that moment, Jesus hears the horns of the priests in the, in the temple signifying that the first of the lamb's throats were cut. Jesus then said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. <clears throat> Okay, let's take now the word it is finished and see why it's so full of meaning. Three English words, it is finished, comes from one Greek word, tetalistai. Tetalistai is a verb. What does a verb do? It expresses action. I like already the meaning that's coming out of this word. Here's the first nugget of this. When it comes to you or my salvation, Jesus took action. He stepped up to the plate, or as one comedian says, he got her done. This is the Jesus that's in the boat with you. Question for you. Are you up? And please say yes. Are you up to a Bible college level Greek lesson? Yes. Okay, thank you. That was a little bit weak there. <clears throat> but uh, so as I thank you, because if not, that would ruin about five minutes of my sermon here this morning. <clears throat> so as I go through this, now, when I was in school, I hated English and language arts because it was all D's, and I just worked hard to get D's and all that kind of stuff. I felt like a failure when I was a little kid growing up. Everybody else doing fine. And, uh, but now I kind of go, oh, I see why it was so important, okay, for things of this nature. So as I go through this, would you please not turn me off, okay? Hang in there. Because when I get to the, the end of this little chunk, there's a nugget waiting for you, okay? There's a nugget waiting. So don't turn it off. Just hang in there. I don't expect you to remember all this. Remember, remember, Jesus is in the boat with you. And this will enhance that. Okay, Bible college lesson. Verbs, action words come in different tenses. Remember, don't turn it off. Just hang in there. Action words come in different tenses. A tense means any form of the verb that shows the time of action or condition. For instance, past tense. I have fished. I have pictures on my phone. Let's talk, okay? <clears throat> past tense, I have fished. Present tense, I am fishing. Future tense, I will fish. I'm taking my boy fishing tomorrow, Lord willing, okay? Him and I, father, son, will be on a boat. Hopefully, just hopefully, it'll be almost a environmental disaster. We're catching so many fish. 
you know, where you have to bait the hook behind a tree, kind of like just batting the fish back. You know, give us a chance. That will be in my boat. So anyway, um, those are three examples of tenses, of which the English has a total of six tenses, including present perfect tense, past perfect tense, future perfect tense. Don't turn me off. Hang on, okay? Just, just let me say what I need to say here. Confused yet? The Greek gets dicier. Oh, you know the cliche, that's all Greek to me. Okay. Among other tenses, the Greek has pluperfect. Pluperfect? What's that mean? <laughs> Better than perfect? And there's another one, imperfect. Then there's, of course, future, present, and perfect. Greek and Hebrew is extremely detailed, and that's why God used these two language, uh, languages to communicate his word. Jesus' words, it is finished. The single Greek word, tetelestai, is in the perfect tense. I like this already. Just by simply uh, the title of this tense, perfect tense, perfect is fitting when talking about the work of Christ on the cross for us. Ray Summers, in his book, Essentials of New Testament Greek, says of the perfect tense. This is the Greek pen. Now, we're talking about the work of the cross, the work of what Jesus did for each one of us. The Jesus that's in your boat, okay? This is the Greek, he goes on to say, Ray Summers says this. This is the Greek tense of completed action. It indicates a completed action with a resulted state of being. Okay, we're not at that little nugget yet. These are all good things. Uh, involved the, in the Greek perfect are these ideas. Number one, an action in progress. We can say this, Jesus doing the work of our salvation from before creation to the cross. Secondly, it's coming to a point of culmination. Jesus' work on the cross, our sins placed upon him. Thirdly, it's existing as a completed result. Jesus' death, the penalty for our sin, has been paid. It is completed. This is the Jesus that's in the boat for you. And here's the nugget I'm coming to. Okay, now all those were good nuggets too. We can take these three words, it is finished, and it literally means this. It literally means this. It is finished, it stands finished, and it will always be finished. This, amen? This is the Jesus that's in the boat with you. He rocked it. He rocked it. Okay, four uses of the word tetalistai. Four uses. I'm going to touch four, four uses here. What I'd like to do is change it up a bit. We're going to still talk about this word tetalistai. Jesus, Jesus chose this word to represent the work he did so that you and I can have eternal life. The gift of salvation is free to us due strictly to Jesus' efforts. So back during the time of Jesus, how was this word used by various people in everyday life? You would have heard somebody say, Tetalestine. How was this used? And each one of these is a beautiful picture of the work of Christ. First, the work, uh, the word the first use of the word is that a servant would visit, excuse me, use it. I'll start over. The first use of the word is that a servant would use it, reporting to his or her master, and would say this, I have completed the work assigned to me. The second is when a priest examined an animal sacrifice and found it faultless. The third use is when an artist completed a picture or an author a manuscript. And the fourth use was by a merchant when they would say that debt is paid in full. Let's take a look at each one of these. First use, a servant would use it reporting to his or her master. I have completed it. The work assigned to me is done. John 17, 4, Jesus states this as he prays to our heavenly father. He says, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. A quote from one of my commentaries. There once, and this is a guy that was back in the, like the very, very early 1900s, late 18s, uh, early 19s. There was once a rather eccentric evangelist named Alexander Wooten. And I don't know anything about that guy other than this quote of his. And, who was approached, approached by a flippant young man who asked, what must I do to be saved? 
It's too late, Wooten replied, then went back to his work. The young man became alarmed. Do you mean it's too late for me to be saved? He asked. Is there nothing I can do? Too late, said Wooten. It's already been done. The only thing you can do is believe. That's why salvation is a free gift to each one of us. It wasn't free for Jesus. We are unique as a religion because we are a relationship. But our salvation comes because it is a free gift. We don't work for it. We do not work for all the other world religions or held in this sense of fear and foreboding of whether or not they have achieved enough to go to their version of heaven. And that's not getting them there. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. This is the Jesus that's in the boat with you. This is the Jesus that's in the boat with you. He's done the work. Second use, when the priest examined an animal sacrifice and found it faultless. Oh, fascinating. 3,500 years ago, the Lord told Moses, it's a command of to celebrate Passover for the nation of Israel. First Passover is basically when God rescued Israel from slavery from the nation of Egypt. Passover is celebrated in the spring, uh, roughly around our when we celebrate Easter. There's a specific list of rules to follow to observe Passover. And I'm not going to read it's Exodus 12, 16 verses there. I'm not going to read all that. But here's some of the rules. Passover, we're talking about the, the sacrifice is a lamb. Please, the, the lamb has to be perfect. John one twenty nine, John the Baptist states when he saw Jesus come and he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Also, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you to know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus is the faultless sacrifice. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never, never sinned, again, proving that he is God. That's the Jesus that's in the boat with you. Third use. When the artist completed a picture or the author a manuscript, he or she might say in the old Greek, tetalistai, in English our equivalent is, it is finished. The death of Jesus on the cross completes the picture that God has been painting, the story that he has been writing for eons. Allow me to give you a partial list of the prophecies about our Messiah that came true in Jesus. By the way, there's over 300 prophecies and from the Old Testament that came true about Jesus when Jesus walked the earth. I'll give you just a few here. There's 300, over 300 of them. First one, from the tribe of Judah, prophesied Genesis 49, fulfilled Luke 3, born in Bethlehem, prophesied Micah chapter 5, fulfilled Luke 2, time of birth, prophesied Daniel 9, fulfilled Luke 2, born of a virgin, prophesied Isaiah 7, fulfilled Luke 1, um, flight to Egypt, prophesied Hosea 11, fulfilled Matthew 2, rejected by his people, uh, prophesied Isaiah 53, fulfilled John 1, betrayed by a friend, prophesied Psalm 41, fulfilled Luke 22, sold for 30 pieces of silver, prophesied Zechariah 11, fulfilled Matthew 26, crucified with criminals, prophesied Isaiah 53, fulfilled Mark 15, pierced through his hands and feet, prophesied Zechariah 12, fulfilled John 20. Over 300 of those. This is the Jesus that's in the boat with you. This is the Jesus that's in the boat with each and every one of you. The picture is complete. Oh man, I got Jesus bumped saying that. It's warm up here. I'm working hard, and I'm getting Jesus bumps all over the place. This is the Jesus that's in the boat with each one of you. Let that encourage you. Let that soak way down here. For when life gives you this junk stuff that you can go, I remember Jesus is in the boat with me. Jesus is in the boat. You know, I love uh, Psalms 23. is my favorite psalm. Psalm 23, 4. 
Um, uh, little H, it'll come here. Uh, somebody give me the first word. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Jesus is in the boat. Fourth use is used by the merchants of the day to say the debt is paid in full. C.S. Lewis wrote, he came to pay a debt. I love this. He came to pay a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. When he gave himself on the cross, Jesus fully met the demands of a holy law. Old Testament sacrifices could not take away sins. Their blood only covered sins. Mark 10, 45 states, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Illustration, family illustration. I'm using my kids today. That's way cool, though. My daughter, I love my daughter. The Lord's only given me one daughter. I know she's great friends with Dwayne. Dwayne likes to spoil my daughter a little bit. And she'll be here in October. Maybe we can hook up, okay, Dwayne? And uh, so, uh, anyway, my daughter, uh, she lives in uh, Wisconsin right now. That's where the Lord have her, has her. And I, my nickname for her is my babushka, okay? My little babushka. And she likes it. She's a very independent woman. Uh, and she's doing great things. Uh, but she still likes it when I call her my babushka. Now, I was preaching at another church one time when I mentioned, and there was a number of Russians in this church. And so uh, uh, when I said, yeah, my daughter, I call her Babushka, and there was some giggling going on out there. And afterwards, one of the Russian people come up and, and says, you know that means grandma, right? I thought, yeah, I'm still cool with that. <clears throat> yeah, so my little girl, she's 27, so she's my little babushka. In Bible college, she went to New Tribes Bible Institute in Waukesha. It's now Ethnos 360. So anyway, spring break, her and some of her girlfriends had been saving money for a road trip to go visit one of the girl's parents. They left Thursday after class at noon, and they were going to drive all through the night to get to this place. My wife and I told my babushka, my daughter, I said, if you guys need a motel room, we'll pay for it. Okay, let's do that. Let's, let's pay for your motel room. That late Thursday night outside of Elizabethtown, Kentucky, a drunk driver speeding down the freeway smashed into the back of them, disabling their car, spinning it out of control into the medium of the freeway there, and he never stopped. The girls are sore, shaken, and bruised up. Katie called, you know how you can... Don't you, as parents, don't you know when there's a serious phone call coming? When the phone rings, you just go, we got to get that. That's a serious phone call. Bang, it's babushka. We've been in a, <laughs> you know, and I'm ready to hop a jet right now. Who was it? You know, <clears throat> somebody hurt my little babushka. Okay, we'll do some fatherly big bear tough love on this guy here. Oh, we just got in an accident. So anyway, Katie called Somber, and Katie asked, Daddy, would you pay for us a motel room? Let me tell you, my credit card came out of my wallet so fast that it caused a friction fire right there. <laughs> Had to put that out and paid for my little babushka uh, to have a motel room there safe. Jesus paid the price. The price has been paid. I'm wrapping this up here. The price is paid. This is the Jesus that's in the boat with you. This is the Jesus that's in the boat with you. Praise the Lord Jesus is in the boat with us. That's so encouraging. I often ask Jesus when I'm going through a difficult time, Jesus, can I just sense your sweet presence? And Jesus in his own way, his own time, his own how does it. I love the presence of Jesus in my life. I don't think I could withstand my life without the sweet presence of Jesus. In summary, there's people in this, in this community that they're not in the boat with Jesus. Most people here don't have Jesus in the boat. Most, if there were to be a catastrophic event happen in Chuila, God forbid, you know, we get nuked or something, 
most of our neighbors, most of the kids we go to school with, most of the people we work with here, would not go to be with Jesus for eternity. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. I have people that I've been praying for for 40 years to get saved. I don't got another, I'm 57. Maybe I got another 40, I don't think so. I think Jesus is coming before that. And um, I have some people I've been praying for 40 years. I have, I pray, wherever, wherever I go out there, I pray, I pray for random people that I'll never bump into again. I go to Walmart. Hey, there's a young mom with a bunch of cute kids. I, now, I don't put my arm around them and go, me, I pray for you right here. You know, they take out their pepper spray and it's a stranger danger. No, no, I'm just, I love you. No, that's the wrong thing to say. I'm praying for you. Okay. Um, So how about you guys? There's people out there. You know, you're all missionaries, right? You all is missionaries. Every one of you is missionaries. You're a missionary cleverly disguised as what you are doing. To those of you that are in school, you're a a missionary of Jesus cleverly disguised as a student of Guess Elementary or wherever you're going to school. To those of you, you, as a neighbor, you're a neighbor cleverly disguised, you're a missionary of Jesus cleverly disguised as a neighbor. Family members, loved ones, the list go on. I encourage you, be praying for people to come to know Jesus as your Savior. Then as you do that, pray this prayer. Lord, would you please use me? Ooh, did that get a little scary? Yeah, that's all right. You know, the the best way to share, one of the best ways to share your faith is just to share your testimony. And I pray, I say, Lord, would you please, I pray this every day. I say, Heavenly Father, use me today. Use me, Jesus, use me. And I love it when all of a sudden, boom, there is a God moment that takes place. And I say, okay, Lord, would you please help this conversation to turn into something that I can deal uh, with this person's eternal life? And then one of the greatest tools to use is just simply how you got saved. You don't have to be the world's greatest theologian. Just say, you know what? Jesus means a lot to me. Here's what... Here's where I was at, and here's how Jesus met me. Then at the end, you say, would you like this Jesus? And then pray with him that prayer. Such great need out there. Lastly, and I'll pray after this, maybe there's somebody here that has not trusted Jesus as your Savior yet. Maybe there's somebody here that does not yet have Jesus in your boat. Today's the day. Today's the day. This is no accident that I'm here today. This is no accident that this is the sermon that the Lord has placed upon my heart to share with you guys. And so here in a little bit, I'm going to pray. And then if if there's somebody here that has not yet trusted Jesus as their Savior... I'm just going to ask you in the quietness of your heart to pray the sweet little prayer that much of these camp kids, and I've heard many, many, many times uh, over the years, to pray. Shall we pray? (laughs) Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for this, Lord, this wonderful truth. I pray, Lord, would you please, please, please burn to each one of our hearts that your son Jesus is in the boat with us, Lord, through all the stuff of life, the great times, the miseries, etc., Yet even the great times, Lord, help, help us to sense your sweet presence, Lord. Help us to remember this truth. Burn it deep, Lord. And Heavenly Father, I pray this. Lord, if there's somebody here that has not yet trusted your son Jesus as their Savior, Lord, if there's somebody here that has not done that, Lord, that, and if they want to right now, that in the quietness of their heart, they pray this prayer, Lord. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you for 
dying on the cross for me. You paid that price. Then thank you for being buried. And then thank you for three days later rising from the dead. Jesus, give me eternal life, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. I'm not going to ask that. But if there's somebody here that prayed that prayer to trust Jesus as your Savior, would you just let me know? Just just quickly raise your hand. I'm not going to take a long time with this. Okay. Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Okay. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, Lord. Thank you that your son Jesus is in the boat with each one of us. In your son's name, amen. My sermon is to Talistai. Finished. Thank you.